Welcome back to Tales of Southwest Michigan's Past. This is Michael Delaware. I am your host. And today we're going to explore some of the history of Camp Custer. Camp Custer was a military base that was built just west of Battle Creek when the United States entered World War I. Today, the base is known as Fort Custer, but in the beginning it was called Camp Custer, and it was built on a section of land over an old village called Harmonia back in the day, and it was all farmland, and there was a small village, or the remains of a small village called Harmonia on the site. So we're going to explore some of that history today, so come along and join me. So part of the history that I'm going to share with you today came from a souvenir booklet on the establishment of Camp Custer that was published in 1918. And that's going to be the focus of today's podcast. So I came into possession of this booklet through a friend of mine who is a collector of old and rare historic documents and booklets. And he has lunch with me about once a week with a group of other people. And they're all kind of fans of local history. And these folks share a lot of information with me. And he had extra copies of this book that he'd acquired. And it was called Souvenir Camp Custer, Michigan. And it was obviously a promotional piece to give out to families and people in the community about what was happening at at Camp Custer. And it was published by a company called Atkins & Jones in 1918. And it's just a very small booklet, and there's only about four pages of text, and the rest is all photographs. But it's very revealing for the time, and it covers a very unique perspective on the origins of Camp Custer. So I'm going to just read you the booklet today as part of the podcast. So it begins, This book is printed as a souvenir of Camp Custer, a national university that takes the young man from the farm, the shop, and the office. In a few months, graduates soldiers trained and equipped ready to fight the battles of democracy. These pages contain intimate pictures of the life of the boys in training, For the great conflict overseas. To the thousands who visit their boys in khaki, Camp Custer is a wonderful place. Nothing like it was ever built in America before, and this is one of 36 cantonment sites, all built in an amazingly short time to meet the country's emergency needs. The site of Camp Custer was as peaceful and as quiet a stretch of countryside as existed in America. Then came the declaration of war, and in five months, a complete military city of 2,000 buildings with comfortable quarters for 36,000 men stretched its length over the four miles of territory. Camp Custer occupies a site chosen by the spiritualists before the Civil War for a utopian community to be named Harmonia. The camp stretches along a series of hills overlooking the Kalamazoo River, the land being high and well-drained. When the government issued a call for cantonment sites, Battle Creek offered Harmonia more as a patriotic duty than with the hope of securing a camp. When the announcement was made that the Harmonia site had been selected, the entire community turned in to cooperate with the government in hastening the work and in providing the right kind of surroundings for the camp. Land for the cantonment was leased by the Battle Creek Chamber of Commerce, which raised a fund 
to pay the farmers their rent in advance. The organization acting as agent for the government, but first going on record pledging itself to return to the government any profit that might accrue from the transaction. The military city has its own water system, a sewer system, its own pavements, its central heating plants, its own hospital, bakery, laundry, and all institutions that go to make a modern sanitary city. A paved road was built the full length of the camp, reaching all sections, and another paved way was built connecting it with Battle Creek. Major Earl B. Morden was called from civilian life to take charge of construction. He had been with the Hill Railroads for years. Porter Brothers were the general contractors. Workmen from all over the Middle West heard the call for help, and in a few weeks, the number of men employed in the construction reached 8,000. Material used in construction of the camp would fill a freight train 36 miles long. The total cost of the camp was $8 million. Camp Custer today covers, with its barracks, rifle range, drill grounds, and quartermaster's buildings, 10,000 acres, 200 farmers vacated their land to make way for the needs of the nation. It lies three and a half miles west of Battle Creek. Two trunk line railroads, the Grand Central and Grand Trunk, pass the reservation and it is reached by the Michigan Railway lines, an electric line being built into the camp. It lies on the old Detroit-Chicago Territorial Road, which Congress laid out as a military highway in the 30s. Just as a note, they're talking about the 1830s. Construction work started July 1, 1917. On August 26th, Major General Joseph T. Dickman arrived to take charge of the organization of the 85th Division. A few weeks later, the first men began to arrive from Michigan and Wisconsin towns and villages, the first of America's big army of democracy. On December 5th, less than six months from the date construction started, the camp was turned over to the government completed. Since that time, there have been further additions. The base hospital, which first included some 36 wards, each in a separate building, was doubled in size. Additional quartermaster's warehouses were built. In August 1918, the government ordered 180 additional barracks in the western end of the camp, a separate group. Besides the barracks were a number of interesting camp institutions a remount station where thousands of horses and mules were trained and equipped for army service, a camp bakery with a capacity to furnish bread for a city of 40,000, a water system with a supply of artesian water of 3 million gallons daily, and a laundry as large as any in the state. Following the builders came the YMCA, and the Knights of Columbus and the Red Cross and other organizations, each with buildings and workers to meet the needs of the men outside their actual military duties to help brighten after drill hours of the boys in camp. The YMCA built 10 E-type of huts, each with an assembly room with stage and moving picture machines and a reading and game room with fireplace and Victrola, each building has its staff of directors and the Y having an organization of 60 trained men in camp. The Knights of Columbus built a half a dozen buildings where everything is furnished free to the soldiers, including nightly entertainments 
and the Red Cross erected at the base hospital the most beautiful building and camp where the convalescents and their relatives can meet in pleasant surroundings. The Liberty Theater, with a seating capacity of 5,000, was built to give the soldiers big city theatrical entertainment. A library was erected, and later the state of Michigan, from its war emergency fund, built a community house at the edge of the camp, a building to lodge the relatives and friends of soldiers when they came to camp. Outside the camp, the War Camp Community Service provides club rooms in Battle Creek and Kalamazoo, organizes soldiers' entertainments, and looks after the comfort of the men generally when they are off duty and out of camp. State and federal governments combined to see that high standards of sanitation and morals were maintained, not only in camp, but for a 10-mile zone around camp and in all towns nearby. When a selected man arrives at Camp Custer, he goes first to the depot brigade, where he receives a thorough medical examination and is given his uniform and equipment. He is then given his first military instructions and is later transferred to a special branch of the service, the infantry, the artillery, or some other specialized branch of fighting. The Army gives him all military instruction, but after his drill hours, there is opportunity to attend classes and many courses of instruction, their curriculum equaling a high school course. Camp Custer turns out trained soldiers for the great United States Army, but it also graduates men who gain in its training a better conception of the value of clean living, a knowledge of discipline, and an education that fits them better for the obligations of a citizenship in a great democracy. And that was the end of the book in terms of the writing. The rest is filled with photos and there's a few cartoons from the era that are quite interesting. And there's a lot of uh, original vintage photos that were taken around 1918 showing the inside of the YMCA Hall, the YMCA Reading Room, YMCA Headquarters, different photos around the base. There's even a writing room that was done at the YMCA where they could write letters home. So it's very neat. You see those. There's the Knights of the Columbus Building, which was uh, the KFC Hall. And there's a lot of different photos of the men out in front of that. And there's some interesting photos of the training that you don't really hear about from elsewhere and this is the first time I've seen reference to it. Of course, they had training routines that included what could be expected. Um, They learned to fight. They were taught swimming. They did drilling with their weapons. They also drilled putting on their gas masks, and there's a lot of photos of that. They learned boxing lessons. They even took French classes. There was a lot of hiking with exercise. Uh, The hiking included full packs. There was things like high jump, broad jump, tug of war. And there's a couple of other interesting ones that I had not seen before. There's one called push ball, where they show a picture of this huge ball that looks like a tremendous beach ball taller than a man. And one group was pushing the ball against the other. And I guess it was a game to push the ball from one end to the other. And it was kind of a team game. They also had wrestling with mules. And I couldn't figure out from the photo if it was the men wrestling with others that were on the back of a mule or some other thing there trying to push the guy off. And then they also had tug of war on mules. 
in addition to the regular tug of war with men on the ground, they would line up mules in a row and they'd be a man on the saddle pulling the rope with the mules. And then there's pictures of their outdoor barber, the artillery range, things that were being built by the engineers, ambulance drilling, boxing, carrying soldiers on their back, going over walls and the obstacle course and learning to use the different artillery weapons. And it's just a, a really fascinating chapter. Of course, the photos and the panoramic photos of the barracks and the just sheer vast amount of men that were in the photos. It's just a very interesting time. And the fact that the camp was built in such a short amount of time and so many men descended upon the camp. Now, in general, people know that the United States was involved in World War I, but they don't recognize that how short a time the U.S. was involved in World War I. The construction of the camp began in July of 1917 and was handed over to the government in December of 1917. So the earliest that the troops began training was the last month in 1917, and it continued into the early part of 1918, but they didn't start going over to Europe until later. The troops didn't go over until the beginning of 1918, and Armistice Day was at the end of 1918. So America's vast involvement in World War I was less than a year. Now, there was certainly troops that stayed beyond that date over in Europe, but most of them came home at the end of 1918. There is another story on my podcast that talks about the polar bears, that they had a different experience, and that unit was sent to Russia, and they ended up staying almost a full year beyond the Armistice Day. So that is a separate story altogether. Uh, but some of those soldiers trained at Camp Custer. So it's just very interesting that this camp was built virtually within six months' time. And there's a lot of other stories that are related to Camp Custer. There's another booklet that I found that was uh, published in the time, and you can find samples this is around if you talk to collectors. And I was fortunate enough to get a copy of this. And it's called As You Were Fort Custer. So this is a booklet that covers the whole history of it being Camp Custer all the way to Fort Custer. And there's a tremendous amount of stories in here. And there are a lot of anecdotes written by people during the period of its construction, the existence of it when it was a camp, and the transition of it when it became Fort Custer after World War I. And it, of course, served as Fort Custer during World War II. And there's a other subchapters of the history of Fort Custer, as you might describe them. You know, not only the Camp Custer, which eventually became Fort Custer, but you also have the big VA center that followed that's still out here in Battle Creek. And then there's also Fort Custer National Cemetery that was originally part of the Camp Custer grounds of the soldiers that died and so there's an older part of that cemetery when you go out to visit that was originally part of the Camp Custer. And there's some very old headstones dating back to World War I there. It's just a very fascinating history. There are so many stories here, uh, far too many to include in just one episode here. Um, but I'll give you a couple of other tidbits about the camp. There's a material list that is published in this little book, and it describes the some of the immensity of the building project that was rushed through in half a year can be better understood by the following report upon the materials used. Lumber, board feet, 
46,512,096 board feet of lumber went into building the barracks. Roofing, two-ply squares, 64,218. Tarred felt squares, 48,236. Doors, 11,911 doors. Garage doors, 238. Sewer pipe miles, 32.7 miles. Water pipes miles, 14.7 miles. Nails in kegs, 11,884. Cedar posts, 31,300. Wallboard square foot, 3,595,092. And then there's one on bricks, 1,933,300 bricks. And there were 95 boilers installed. That is just an amazing amount of material. Anybody in construction today would say, whoa, that would be quite an order to keep organized. And the fact that all of these things came in on railroad cars and trains. And the earlier booklet that I read indicated that it was 36 miles of railway cars. So that is a lot of trains coming in town, bringing material to Battle Creek, which just kind of shows how epic this project was and how fast it was built is just astounding. The laundry itself was the largest in the state of Michigan at the time. And it was in its own independent building, which was a long and narrow building. And they said that the roof resembled saw teeth. It was a peculiar looking building on the site. So the purpose of the roof being that shape was to distribute light equally throughout the building. The laundry was done by the most modern machinery at the time, and 200 men were employed to do the laundry for 200 times that number. And they had large revolving washing machines, cylinder ringers, and they could process 40,000 towels and 6,000 sheets a day. And the laundry plant had four separate boilers and its own bookkeeping and accounting system to keep everything organized. And that's just one story. And some of the other features I've already covered before, the YMCA buildings and the Liberty Theater and the entertainment that the soldiers had. But an interesting note that that was put in this booklet is that two-fifths of the men examined for military service during the World War were adjudged physically unfit. This was a major reason for the adoption of the required physical education courses in schools and colleges. So if you ever wondered where the origin of PE classes came... It came from all of these bases that were built around the United States during World War One, and they were discovering that two-fifths of the men signing up for service were unfit for being able to be in service. So they put in the PE classes in the colleges and high schools around the country following that experience, which is just a very interesting um, point of history, which actually came right out of the Camp Custer era. So today, if you go to the Fort Custer State Recreation Area, that land that is now a state park was part of the original Camp Custer grounds, and it was used as a training area for troops. And so you'll find remnants of concrete bunkers and things like that out there in the woods when you go hiking. There's some right off some of the trails, and 
and odd things that you say, what was this? Well, that was all part of the camp, and it was something to do with the training at some point during the time that they were uh, using that. That later was given to the state to be made into a state park. So Camp Custer has an interesting history, and there's certainly a lot more stories to tell about it, and I'll probably do some more follow-up episodes on Camp Custer and Fort Custer and some of the different aspects of that. But I just wanted to share this little bit of history with you today on this story because it has uh, employed a lot of people over the years. It's been quite an impact on this area of Southwest Michigan. And if you like today's episode, please take a minute to leave a review on whatever app that you are listening on and be sure to tell other people about my podcast. If you'd like to reach out to me, you can find me at michaeldelaware.com and feel free to reach out to me through the contact form on there and I will reply as soon as possible. I'm always happy to talk to people about any topic of history. I don't ever claim to know everything there is and I'm always interested in learning new things and a lot of the people listening to my podcast and my YouTube channels have pointed me in directions of stories that I would never have otherwise discovered without them having reached out to me. So I want to thank everybody for that that does that and takes the time to either send me a email through my website or uh, just makes a comment in any of the social media posts or on YouTube itself. It is greatly appreciated, and sometimes I find myself going down a path that I was started on by somebody taking time to uh, point me in that direction. So it is always greatly appreciated. So once again, I hope you'll join me next time as we take another journey into yesterday and discover yet another tale of Southwest Michigan's past. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.